hear me. Скажи мне, американец, в чем сила? А вы что, собираетесь на ней жениться? Да. Ух, красота-то какая, лепота. Таможня дает добро. Я вообще не называю меня, пожалуйста, Вероника. Кто я? Вот кто я? От русские земля, единый быть. Hi, my name's Ali, and this is the Rus Files Unite podcast, where we watch Russian films and films with a Russian connection. As always, I'm joined by a guest, and today my guest is Adam. Hi, Adam. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Ali. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great uh, for you to be on the, the show, although I'm kind of conscious that this is sort of the audio equivalent of me going and standing next to Chris Hemsworth. So uh, <laughs> I'm hoping people aren't going to, you know, make too many unfavorable comparisons. <laughs> the audio equivalent of Chris Hemsworth. Wow. I, I, I guess I'm saying you have, like, if there is such a thing as a handsome voice, that's... <laughs> You're a possessor of such, but Thank I, you. I, was, well, I was thinking the same thing, to be honest. I was thinking more Liam Hemsworth, so. Oh, right. This okay. is quite the paradox. <laughs> Indeed. We're almost like twins. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me, though. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's great you're on. So, um, could you tell us a little bit uh, about you and uh, sort of what you get up to? Okay. Well, I'm the host and narrator and producer and writer and everything else of The Secret History of Hollywood and Attaboy Clarence podcasts, which um, focus mainly on the golden age of Hollywood. Yeah, um, I was introduced to your show by you doing a guest slot on APOC Radio with Malcolm Nygaard, who listeners to this show may remember from the, the Sherlock uh, Holmes episode, Soviet Sherlock, and yeah, you were a a guest and a villain at one point, and kind of doing a sort of like dastardly, like Basil Rathbone, but evil, like in Robin Hood and his Merry Men type of thing. Yeah, that's quite an experience, yeah. Oh my goodness me, I've forgotten all about that, but yeah. Uh, sorry, hi Malcolm, how are you? Hello Malcolm, <laughs> uh, or, or, or Privyet, hi, as we say in Russian. Um, <laughs> Commissar. Yeah. So, uh, yes, yeah, so obviously the, the interest in classic cinema is something you share with uh, with all of us. But for, I guess, the less film buffish, more just general Russia interest people, when you say the golden era of Hollywood or Hollywood's golden age, what are we really talking about? I think we're probably talking about the silence to the end of the production code era. So in terms of years, you're probably looking at the early 1910s to the early 1960s. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where I think the ending is kind of a little bit fuzzy. Mm. I mean, yeah, you mentioned the the production code, Mm. but yeah. So that's kind of why we've gone for the particular film we've chosen today. But before we get on to that, your latest series, which by the time this episode 
goes out, I think you probably will have wrapped up based on, you know, uh, how many... <laughs> <laughs> how long he has left to... Wow. To, uh, is this episode going out in 2022, is it? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> hope not. Hope not. Um, well, this, is a long, uh, this is a long game, isn't it? Well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, your current series is about the um, like horror producer. Like, I don't want to pigeonhole him because he seemed to have been like very much a man of many talents. He's definitely unpigeonholable, I think. Yeah. yeah. Val Luton, who, yeah, I hadn't really heard of prior to listening to, to your podcast, but he sounds just fascinating. But that wasn't his birth name. His, his birth name was the rather more Russian-sounding, at least in terms of his first name, Vladimir Leventon. So yes, he was, was actually born in Yalta. Odessa, which was... Oh, well, Yalta. Right? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah yes. okay. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. It's fine, Karen. Yeah, why did I think he was from... Maybe, maybe his family had some connections with Odessa, but anyway. His mother studied in Odessa, yeah. Gotcha, right, mm. right. So, yeah, obviously Yalta in Crimea, which... Uh, moving swiftly on. Uh, <laughs> Find another connection, go for it. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> No, um, my latest series is about Val Luton, and he was born Vladimir Leventon, and very much part of the uh, the Eastern Europe contingent, so we say. Yeah. Yes, and his um, his aunt was you. You portray her with a very <laughs> pronounced Russian accent. <laughs> you could say that. Yeah, that's basically an impression of my grandmother, who's from Latvia. But yeah, his aunt was Alla Nazimova, who was. A very, very famous uh, Russian actress who uh, made the move from silent to sound cinema in Hollywood and carved quite a trail, yes, in terms of performance and, shall we say, personal life. Her sexuality mm. was something of a something of a, a phenomenon in Hollywood too. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like that was sort of like... Not known by the general public because there would have been a scandal, but it's mm, correct, yeah. But kind of known about in the more sort of showbiz yeah. circles. I mean, the the uh, the interesting thing about twenties and thirties Hollywood uh, lesbians was that they referred to their group, shall we say, as the sewing circle, and that was a term coined by Miss Alana Zimova. And which was also adopted by other famous partakers, such as Marlena Dietrich and Greta Garbo. So, but but Alan Zimova was was quite a, a trailblazer. She also, unfortunately, felt the need to enter into a what is now referred to as a lavender marriage with a husband that she did not love, but you know, a marriage of, of convenience, so that she could keep the facade up and um, and keep it up. She did. Until later in life where she just thought, you know, what the hell? I don't care who knows anymore. <laughs> mm, yeah, I suppose, yeah, often people do get to a certain vintage where they just go, yeah, I'll just do my own thing. Yeah, and... I don't care if you ignore me in the street anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is how it should be. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's never great to be too dependent on what everyone else thinks. Correct, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the film we're watching today is very much towards the end of the golden age of uh, of hollywood mm -hmm. um, so it's it's an american slash italian take on you know kind of 
the daddy of like Russian novels. <laughs> yeah, you could say the daddy. Yeah. I mean, I think even technically, some people don't really count it as a novel. They say it's kind of almost like its own own genre. But it's like the background to every novel of the twentieth century, isn't it? It's like the house where every novel lives. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Especially like, I mean, this is way above my pay grade. I'm, I'm like a history grad, so literature is something I kind of dabble in. But my understanding of, of it is in terms of like the more realist tradition. It's kind of like if people compare you with Tolstoy, that's 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 good going. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's kind of War and Peace because I don't think we've actually specifically said which one it is, but you probably guessed already. Yeah, if you say name a famous Russian work of literature and a famous Russian author, the chances are people are going to say War and Peace or Anna Karenina mm. by Lev Tolstoy. They might mention Dostoevsky and Crime and Punishment if they're... That's you know, the one I always get mixed up with, I must be honest. It's Crime and Punishment, War and Peace, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky... Yeah, I mean, beardy, dead white dudes from Russia, you know. Have you heard of um, The Master and Margarita? Yes, yeah, that's... Uh, oh, his name escapes me uh, momentarily. Borgarkov, Mikhail... Mikhail Borgarkov, yeah. I, yeah. I, I want to say it's Mikhail, yeah. Mm. Yes, yes, I've read that. That is quite a trip. Mm, definitely. <laughs> definitely uh, inspires certain feelings within me, I must be honest. <laughs> Crazy book. Yeah, I have to say, based on your 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 turn in uh, in Malcolm's episode, I I can see. <laughs> I hope you won't take this raw, the wrong way, but I can I can see you doing a turn as Voland. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm either evil or benevolent. There's no in between. I think <laughs> it's the voice. <laughs> Lovely. Um, yeah. So. Um, I mean, obviously, yeah, you'd heard of the thing. Um, oh, and if you'll indulge me a second, I first heard of War and Peace, of all places, from Snoopy, Snoopy cartoons, uh, Charles Schultz, because there's this one sequence where Snoopy, for whatever reason, in his wisdom, decides that he's going to read War and Peace one word per day. Okay. How many words are there in War and Peace? <laughs> Oh, goodness knows. I mean, in terms... I could tell you, like, pages. Now, the first copy I tried to read was a 1,000 pages, and that was just a mess because you'd need basically a microscope not to give yourself a permanent migraine. So, really, I'd say 1,400, 1,500 pages is going to be, like, a comfortable like print visible size to actually be able to read the thing on the bus which is how i read it like oh gosh like probably getting on for 15 years ago so i have actually read it but yeah it's hazy memories it but, is yes. basically three phone books back to back isn't it kind of it terrifies me to think about reading a book that thick the thing about it, I mean i would i'm just yeah i'm not very good at making time for books now which is awful um, I think partly because I don't have long commutes, or at least not long commutes where I'm stationary, so I just listen to podcasts all the time because I'm walking. And partly because you're a shameful human being for not reading a book, which is what I hear a lot on social that's, media. That's yeah. 
That's true. We should both be thoroughly ashamed. I should probably be like triple, quadruply ashamed as I actually work in my day job for a book distribution company. So I am I am a dishonor to my company. You're an probably, abomination. probably listen to this and fire me. Yeah, it'll be awful. Um, <laughs> I have read. I have lots of books in my house that I kind of absorb them somehow. Mm-hmm. That porn- pornography does not count, Alistair, I'm afraid. Shameful. <laughs> Shameful. <laughs> Allegations. You're Russian. <laughs> it's the Russian influence, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, not sure how the Russians would feel about that. <laughs> I'm sorry, you were saying. I have no idea what I was saying. <laughs> We should, we, should, we, should more, <laughs> we should read more. We should read more. Reading reading is, is a very beneficial activity. And I was going to say, though, with at least my recollection, because it is a long time ago, the nice thing about reading War and Peace was that chapters were quite short. And that's, you know... So what were there, five million chapters? Kind of. But that's nice in the sense that it was kind of bite-sized. You kind of like... If you were reading it before bed, say, you weren't kind of like, now, am I going to conk out before I get to a good stopping place? Because you would, so. you know, it'd be like a couple of pages. It'd be like a little scene or a little vignette. And they sometimes would be connected, but they'd be kind of broken up. So I like kind of like uh, I like short chapters, I must be honest. Yeah. You won't like Dostoevsky because that guy, great writer, but mm, likes to kind of, you know, mm. dunk you into the chapter for a long time and kind of swish you around for quite some time to kind of like you know absorb the full levels of misery mm. um, i'm 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 sure like serious russian literature fans are going to hate me for like just caricaturing dostoevsky because there yes there is more going on than that and i'm just perpetuating horrible stereotypes but you know mm. uh, but it's play. been a long day i'm i'm talking in sweeping generalizations <laughs> well you are liam hensworth so <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> you're married the, to Mary less... Tyrus, so you must talk in generalizations Right. <laughs> so, so yeah, going back to the to the cinema, the nice thing about film adaptations is they're a heck of a lot more accessible. Yeah, and they take out all the junk and um, generally boil the plot down to a manageable size. Even though, I have to say, I've never, ever read the, the book War and Peace, and it terrifies me to think of reading a book that long. But even so, <laughs> when I saw the running time of this film, I still thought, oh, gosh, that's four times as long as I usually like a film to be. <laughs> but saying it's that, like... you know, I haven't watched it yet, and I'm looking forward to digging in. Excellent, excellent. It, it could be worse. The, uh, the Soviet adaptation from about ten years after this one mm. is basically double the length because they were like, oh, we want to do a nice faithful adaptation, um, so we need more time because it's a long book. So, Have you uh, seen the uh, the the, uh, the BBC recent one? I did. Yeah, that was like was it six one hour episodes? Yeah. Did you did you watch it all? I did. I quite liked it. I've heard um, nothing but good things about it, but I haven't seen it myself. Yeah, I mean, I would like qualified recommendation. I mean, I think what it it suffered for me from comparison to another BBC version. Um, I mean, there's another TV version from the 70s with Anthony Hopkins, which I haven't seen. But 
four or five years ago, they did a, a radio version. It's pretty all-star cast, and it was in ten one-hour episodes. So it was, it was long. Wow. But, you know, it's audiobook, so, you know, you can do more activities and listen, <laughs> you know. Um, Audio and that. Better. Yeah, uh, of course, we are bound to say this. So, <laughs> yeah, don't take our word for it, listeners. Um, but it has uh, Patterson Joseph as Pierre, who's like one of the main characters, and uh, and magnificently, uh, it has uh, the late John Hurt, who is extremely brilliantly cantankerous. So I think, you know, Jim Broadbent is great, but seeing him do that character after I'd heard john hurt do it it was kind of like yeah this is fine he's you know he's jim broadbent he's great he's just too avuncular to be this guy especially because my conception of this guy is grouchy grouchy john hurt grouch 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 Mm -hmm. so yeah never be in a part that john hurt has done especially recently well you could say that's gonna be a problem that fewer people are gonna have i guess yeah, unless they want me to play the Elephant Man, which is entirely possible, because although my voice is Chris Hemsworth, the face certainly is not. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're shortchanging yourself. Oh, yes, um, yeah. But yeah, so I wanted you to do this one, partly because of the golden age of uh, mm-hmm. of Hollywood. It's, I mean, it's got a, a lot of big stars in it, particularly Audrey Hepburn. Yes, Miss Audrey who you have done a whole series on. I have, yes, yes. Fifteen parts it was, and tells the early life of Miss Hepburn. Yeah, I mean, I imagine we'll get into this a bit more in part two when we've mm-hmm. actually watched the thing, but suffice it to say, you know, knowing what happens in this film, I can't think of too many examples of somebody's actual life preparing them to play that particular role and go through those particular circumstances nearly as well. Um, Mm. If you don't know of what I speak, check out Adam's podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Available on Audible exclusively. Um, Yes. uh, Well, speaking of someone who hasn't actually experienced the story of War and Peace yet, I can't tell you how closely it mirrors Audrey's life, but, but Audrey certainly had a very, very strange upbringing uh, against the backdrop of World War II. And it's a story that many people don't realise happened because many people just think of Audrey Hepburn as a style icon or a beauty icon mm. or even an acting icon that they don't realise that yeah, the life before she became a star was incredibly tough. For Grueling. Her. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she was abandoned by her father brought up by her mother, who was a Dutch baroness, shuttled from country to country, and then found herself squarely in the middle of the war, where she aided in the Dutch resistance, where she almost starved to death, almost died from edema, um, saw her dreams and her ambitions of being a ballet dancer go up in smoke. And Yeah, not least because of the, you know, the deprivations of, of the war. She just... Yeah. Almost starved to death to by the Germans, and yeah, and, um, yeah, and you know, knowing a lot about the Eastern Front and just how you know hell on earth that was, mm. I'd kind of underrated just how bad things were in the occupation in in the Netherlands because it seems like the Nazis were just like, uh, so we're in your country, um, mm. this stuff that you have, 
we're going to need it, and uh, we're not going to pay for it. So yeah. uh, they were so unprepared. Like it, here, yeah. here are these guns. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it was take it or die. They were so yeah. unprepared for war. They were, you know, entirely convinced that they would remain neutral as they had done in World War One, and yeah, act, it, and act it as last sort of. Time. Yeah, exactly. We're going to go between this front and this front, and we will help you both rebuild after the war didn't reckon on the fact that um, Germany would just say, screw it, we want to take your country and, and use it as a base of operations, and, and did awful things to the, the residents of, of the Netherlands. And, yeah. Um, and Audrey was unfortunately caught up in it all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she lost her, her uncle as her uncle was uh, was in the resistance. Yes, and, yes, yeah. yeah. Poor Uncle they just Otto. Put him up, yeah, they just put him up against a wall and... Shot him, yeah. He, um, her brothers were taken one by one. Her father was actually a fascist, uh, a fascist sympathiser and was incarcerated on the Isle of Wight. Her mother began as a fascist sympathiser, didn't realise the scope of what would actually become... The Nazi Party, and later recanted. Obviously, as anyone, any sane person sane would. Person, yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. Um, but yeah, a, a crazy upbringing, and lived almost seven or eight lifetimes before she was even fifteen years old. Watched those she loved murdered in front of her eyes, and was almost killed herself many, many times. Uh, a crazy upbringing, and yet, you know, came through it all, survived, and went on to become. Perhaps Hollywood's most iconic uh, star. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in terms of the cast of, of this film, there are some other big, yeah. know, big names, especially at the time. I mean, Henry mm. Fonda, you know, most people will have seen at some point 12 Angry Men and Anita Ekberg, uh, of course. Yeah. Uh, to my shame, I haven't seen uh, La Dolce Vita, but it is one of the the ones that you're definitely supposed to see if you're, you know, any kind of film buff. Yeah, I'm, I'm firmly on your boat with that. I've not seen it either, but it's one of those films that, you know, is constantly in the top five of many critics' lists. But yeah. I must admit, when I, you know, looked at the cast of this film and saw her face, I thought, wow, very striking, and then realised it was Anita Ekberg. So, yeah, we'll investigate yeah. further. And yet... I, until quite recently, did not know that this film existed. This was one I kind of stumbled mm. across as I was just sort of researching stuff that I could cover, mm. which makes me think, considering it's got Audrey in it, maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's not that good. Well, let's see, shall we? <laughs> yes. So we should, yeah, we should probably watch the film. Now, before we do, we always like to say a little bit of, of Russian because, you know, apparently I like torturing my guests after they've <laughs> kindly appeared on my show. So nice of you. <laughs> and the word that we say is a word that essentially means off we go or we're off. And it's kind of significant in Russian slash Soviet history as it's the word that Yuri Gagarin said when he was blasting off to become the first man in space. But you can use it all the time if you're just, you know, going somewhere in a car. I will, yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> off we go. So the word is payechli. Payechli. All right, so three, two, one. Payechli. Payechli.
and welcome back. It's your new favourite Hemsworthian vocal duo. Um, <laughs> we've just watched War and Peace, directed by King Vidor uh, from 1956. And before we get into letting you know what we thought about it, it's over to Adam for a plot summary. Now, disclaimer, there will be spoilers, so if you don't want to know what happens and you haven't seen the film. Also, an apology, I feel. Adam, uh, I'm sorry, you'll probably take me for some kind of ruthless sadist for giving you this task, but... Uh, um... <laughs> well, I think I might surprise you because I've done a very basic, very brief idea of what the film is about instead of a complete summary a thumbnail sketch is ideal because there's as i'm sure we'll cover there <laughs> is a lot to, of plot <laughs> if you want me to tell you everything that happens in war and peace um you're gonna no. need longer than we've got <laughs> please please do not <laughs> <laughs> okay all right so with that out of the way over to you adam thank you well war and peace tells the tale of two families the rostovs and the bolkovskis or Bolkonskis, sorry, as they traverse their way through Russian life during Napoleon's invasion of 1812 and the subsequent changes to their society as a result. It's basically a big Russian soap opera. Excellent. That is a excellent thumbnail sketch. Thank you. <laughs> and I realise I realize that the book centres on five families, but this the film really centres on two, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean... Even in the book, I'd say there are two main families mm -hmm. and then kind of a zillion others that kind of intersect and then even more supporting characters. So, so yes, there's, there's an awful lot going on. So um, mm. what did you think of it? <laughs> okay. I, I'm going <clears> to <throat> come straight out and say, I mean, and this is a book that I'm probably never going to read because, A, I don't ever have enough time. And B, the size of it just terrifies me. I mean, this is like, if it was a house brick, it would be, you know, big enough to be, <laughs> I don't know, this is a ridiculous analogy, but... You could wrap several lengthy notes around it if you were planning yeah, to throw it through a window. Exactly. I mean, this is like, this is crazy size for a book. Um, so I must admit, I came to the film slightly trepidatious because the film itself is like three hours, 15 minutes, three hours, 20 minutes. Yeah. Three hours and change. My attention span for any movie is not very long, which is why I tend to like the old B-movies that are like 65 minutes long. So I came into this thinking, oh, this is just really not something I'm going to enjoy. Um, I realise the irony of that because I make the longest podcasts on the planet. I was going to say, I yeah, mean... Please, please do point out yeah, the irony. Yeah, Dan Carlin probably could give you a run for your money, but... <laughs> when he gets the nine and a half hours for one show, then then maybe. At the moment, he's like my commercial break. <laughs> so uh, so I, I get the irony of me saying that. I totally Okay, I, I'm glad you pointed yeah, that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really struggled with this film. Because I, I watched it, and for the first 45 minutes to 50 minutes, I was thinking, oh, my God. I'm not familiar with this story at all. So I watched it and thought, when is something going to happen? All <laughs> these people are doing, and they're just, you know, they're standing in a room and making pleasantries to each other. And then we're seeing a different room with other people making pleasantries to each other. And then we see a father talk to his son. And I was thinking, oh, my God, when is something <laughs> going to happen? And as a result... It's taken me three weeks to watch this movie because I watched the first 15 minutes and thought, well, I'll get back to it when 
you know, it's time to record. And last night, I sat there, you know, 10 p.m., thinking, oh, I've got two and a half hours to watch. And yet, oh, I, well, let's just do it. And I have to say, if you divided this film up into three acts, the first 50 minutes where they're just introducing all the characters is incredibly boring. This second Fair. act, I'm, I'm sure the book is more exciting, but this film, as it's made, terribly, terribly dull. The second act, I have to say, when Audrey's character, Natasha uh, Rostova, uh, meets Prince Andre, that really kicked it up a gear for me, and I really, really found myself suddenly interested and suddenly drawn into the story because there was something to center it around. It just seemed like so much disparate... Uh, element so many disparate characters just doing nothing not really interacting in a way that I found appealing I guess just too many pieces floating around in the ether but once you have a love story to kind of center it around once you have that you know I mean we talk about Audrey's story in a moment but yeah well and she's so magnetic unbelievable in this film I mean you know I'm a huge fan of Roman Holiday I think that's her best film then you know I mean even Sabrina which is a very very weak film she is incredible in it because she's so magnetic. And, and as you say, in this film, she is probably 90% of why this film worked for me. In more than that, probably 95%. Um, because she is <laughs> The second so, two-thirds. <laughs> yeah, she's so unbelievably beautiful, for one. Secondly, she seems to be the only naturalistic performer in the entire film and you are looking at a cast of thousands, literally mm. thousands of people. She looks like she's having fun. She seems young and, ex- and exuberant. She is, you know, she she's as jubilant as she is in all of those films, Roman Holiday. She is as magnetic to the eye as she ever was. And I've never seen this film before. I have to say, when she was not on screen, it dies. <laughs> when she when she's on screen, it's it just comes to life straight away. And, Thankfully, from the 50-minute mark to about the two-and-a-half-hour mark, she's rarely off the screen. But she really does bring this film to life. Now, I've read um, analysis of the book, and they say that the character is, is kind of similar, mm. although she starts off much younger, I think, in the book. She starts yes, off at 13. she does, yeah. I mean, if Audrey's supposed to be playing a 13-year-old, that's kind of failed. But, but <laughs> yeah, well, and it's good that she's not because some of the stuff that happens early on would be super weird and awful. Right. Okay. So, so I have to say, when she meets Prince in the Andre, film version, I mean, there's much more like flirtatiousness, and it's uh, right. Okay. Or like okay. two-way flirtatiousness in in this than than there is at least as far as I recall in the book. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. you're a good man for reading that. That's it. the, um... <laughs> it's a long time ago. It's almost half my lifetime at this point. So, so... you just finished it, did you? I think it took me about eight months, and that was like getting through mm. a fair amount every day. I don't know how I... I don't think I would manage it now. Um... I, I feel incredibly bad saying this, but I think <laughs> as a book, this probably works incredibly well because I'm sure as the author you know, has the chance to, you know, float above the action, as it were, and mm. sort of enter the heads of characters and describe yeah. what's going on over here. I'm sure that's what happens. But I think as a film, if you're going to sit someone down from start to finish and tell this story, I think it's too long. And mm. I don't, I don't, um, I think it's too much. I mean, they've obviously truncated it heavily to get it down to three hours, 20 minutes. But 
I think they could have done more to shorten it. I think if they concentrated solely on the Audrey stuff and started it later than they did, and I don't know, it took six people to write this film. Mm, and that kind of shows, I think. It does. Yeah. There's so, it's so uneven in tone. The love story at the centre is brilliant. The bit where she, you know, the bit where she meets... Oh, I forget his name now. The other officer who sweeps her off her feet, and then oh, uh, turns Kuragen. out he's married. Yes, that bit's brilliant because you know, you're you're genuinely wondering. Oh my god, she's not going to leave Andre for this guy, is she? And she does. Um, the, all that's really, really intriguing. Henry Fonda's character Pierre, I don't think, is in it enough. I'm sure he's a massive character in the book, and. I know people who've watched the miniseries and they say mm. he's a much bigger character in that. And she ends yeah. up with him. But yes. he's missing for so much of the of the film that you kind of... It just doesn't feel right when she gets with him at the end. It's, it's He gets it like the last 45 minutes of the film is all him. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And the first half an hour or so is all him. But throughout the rest of it, he's kind of just the supporting character. I think it's a very handsome film to watch. I think it's huge. I mean, the... the I feel like I've seen every inch of Russia, and there are and there are certain scenes in it that blew me away. I've never seen anything like it on film. Uh, you know, you, you watch films these days and you see things that are like it, but they're all computer generated. Oh yeah, I mean that there are. There's a scene in this where Henry Fonda has a duel in the morning sun, and it's oh, that one of was those a lovely one. Yes, it's just the most beautiful, beautifully staged scene I've seen for so long. I mean, the bit where he's going to look for the war and he comes on the hillside and and he looks out across the hills and he sees two armies marching towards each other and and they're marching in in those kind of in those blocks like they did back yeah. then and you just you're I mean, just seeing these, like these little squares moving around and you're and like the, these are real people yeah. in the distance you know and being coordinated by a director who was also coordinating Henry Fonda in the foreshot in in yeah. the distance he's got two armies of people marching towards and that is incredible the bit where the the french soldiers are leaving towards the end and the guns start firing on them I mean, the sheer amount of people and the sheer oh. spectacle of this film is incredible, and Audrey is incredible, but it's just it's just missing the adhesive. I think mm, it's mm, just mm. yeah. I'm, I mean, I I enjoyed it. I have to say, didn't think I was going to, and I really like had to fight to get through it. But you know, from about halfway in, I thought this is where it should have started. Almost, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just it's. It, there's loads to enjoy. There's loads I didn't like. Um, for me, if I had to rate it out of ten or something, it would be like seven. But you know, five of those are Audrey, and two of those are you know the, the grandeur of the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely not my favourite movie experience ever. I have to say, but as I say, you kind of need to see it anyway because it's just such an experience for the eye. Yeah, I think my views are very, very similar to yours. I mean, it was knowing the story, admittedly from other adaptations, rather than the book. As I say, the book is a distant memory. Mm. I was just thinking, if you're coming into this fresh, yeah, how the hell are you going to know what's going on? Because it's kind of like, thing, yeah. as you say, a couple of people coming into the room and going, hello, it's nice to see you. Yes, right, okay, over mm. here now. Um, yeah. They go riding. All of a sudden, you know, you you see a character from 10 minutes before tipping his hat and they're they're standing at the window. They're talking about, you know, dinner or something. 
I just mm. thinking, what is the point of this? <laughs> what yeah. Is, what's and happening? It's not even introducing these characters. Well, I have no idea of these characters' personalities or anything. It's only when the mm. love story starts that you start to, to get a sense of what they're about. Kind of yeah, it's it's kind of like they rattle off dialogue, change scenes, new people, or maybe mm. some of the same people rattling off dialogue. And yeah, I mean, I I haven't seen that. Well, I think the only other Henry Fonda thing I've seen is 12 Angry Men, again, right. a long time ago. I yeah. seem to remember him being good in that. But in this, I kind of could not stand him. He is bloody uh, awful in this film. I, I, I have to say, I, 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 I'm more familiar with Henry Fonda's work, mm. but he is so miscast in this film. It's mm. unbelievable. I mean, you have Audrey Hepburn with her, you know, French slash Dutch slash English accent. You have continental actors in this thing. Um, you know, Kuragin, you know, Italian, wasn't he? Vittorio? Um, uh, Gasman, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the Gasman he, cometh, sorry. <laughs> nice bottom reference. The, um, <laughs> so, but, but, I mean, you have all these accents in there, and then you have Yankee Henry Fonda, who does not nothing to hide his heritage in this film. So he's mm. so unbelievably miscast, and he looks like her granddad as well. <laughs> it's just weird why is he in this film i know they probably wanted a big name or something but. yeah i think that's that's probably mm. what it is and uh again just knowing from from the book it's terrible casting because he's too damn handsome um <laughs> in in the book he's this overweight awkward i mean very clever but kind of socially not great says stupid stuff like the beginning the the whole thing about him going i actually quite admire napoleon i mm. you know, should be doing an american accent but my wife would murder me so uh <laughs> in in the book and in other adaptations he does that in a ball and he basically like embarrasses himself in front of polite society and they're all like what an idiot is this pierre and they and people only start to like him when he inherits all the money um and then everyone's like fawning to get into his affections but partly because he's miscast as this you know really handsome strutting uh, you know sure of himself because i mean pierre in the book is kind of confident in a sort of unself-aware kind of way that people often are when they're teenagers but you can't imagine him having any problem in society because he's like i say conventionally handsome conventionally confident mm. you know he he'd get on fine whereas that's not really what the character is in in the book if that's the, if that if that was the point of you know henry fonda's character i just didn't pick up on that at all that he was supposed to be socially awkward or anything because as yeah, you say no. he begins the film by you know he's he's lent on a windowsill watching the the armies marching past and audrey hepburn's in the next window and they're, mm. they're kind of winking at each other and you know, he walks into the room all confident and sort of, you know, gives her a nudge with his elbow and off he goes, kind of thing. There's no, there's no sense at all that he's in any way awkward or socially yeah. inept at all. So, yeah. And this film totally butchers the the passage of years because. Was there passage of years? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's supposed to be. Yeah, because oh, right, okay. there's a bit at the beginning that uh, that Carrie and I were kind of like, this is almost like path a newsreel type footage at the beginning, which makes sense from the time period. But yeah, the initial battle that Prince Andre is wounded in, that's the Battle of Austerlitz, I want to say, which 
Uh, um, failing as a, a as a history fan here, but I, I want to say is eighteen oh six, eighteen oh seven, somewhere in there, okay. and then you jump forward to the renewal of hostilities and the actual invasion of Russia. Because the initial fighting, it's the Russian army because they're allied with Austria going and helping them, and that's yeah, all this stuff is not particularly well conveyed. And and like you say about it needing more pruning. Yeah, totally concur if you're going to try and do this thing in 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 mm. like three and a half-ish, you know, just over three hours. Like you say, I don't think it's really something that should be attempted. But That's if the you're, thing. Yeah. If you're going to do it... Exactly. If you're going to do a movie, more. you know, don't do not do a three and a half hour, four hour movie. Yeah. You should just do a... You know, it shouldn't, shouldn't have been a movie if they were going to... Yeah. It's, it's hard because you know War and Peace has been turned into a TV miniseries not that long ago and yeah, you know, yeah. received massive critical obviously. acclaim you know I know people that have watched it and said it's absolutely stunning and amazing and you know brilliant and really engrossing but they kept more of the you know, of the book and, and just mm. turned it into you know a, a bigger series I just think they're so they rush the beginning well they don't rush the beginning they meander over the beginning and they should have yeah. tightened, tightened it up and but I, I think you're actually right. I think they both rush and meander in the sense that each scene is rushing through, but that yeah. means that the individual scenes, like there's hardly any meaning. Like the stuff, the relationship mm. between Prince Andre and his and his very gruff father, which again I probably mentioned it in the in the intro part. But once you've heard John Hurt's version, it's like, sorry, everyone else is just going to suffer. <laughs> I mean, even even Jim Broadbent, as I've probably said, but he's hardly there. I mean. Uh, again, Carrie referred to the film as as the this major thing happened off screen, or as I like to call it, the the BT dubs your wife just died version of War, the, War and Peace. <laughs> yeah, so it, like when when Andre's wife dies, you mean? Um, no, uh, well that's that's true, but uh, but no, actually when um, Ellen, who is the Anita Ekberg character, when Did she, she dies. Yes, she did. And the fact that you, I mean... I didn't even get that. Yeah. She was such a focal, you know, she was a bit dastardly and, you know, she, she had such a big part to play. That's mm. one of the problems I had with um, Andre's father, actually. He's yeah. set up to be this huge villain, you know, and he, and, he, and he tells his son, you know, go off for a year and kind of, and, and Audrey calls round on him and and you get the feeling that they're setting him up. I mean, I don't know the story, so this is how I felt when I was watching it. I get the feeling they were setting him up to be a huge villain and that even when Andre came back, he was going to cause a problem. And then he's just, oh, by the way, and he died. But I prayed for him. You know, <laughs> Sorry. <it's> like, what? <laughs> it's just, yeah, it just yeah. seems such a, you know, you're making a movie. You don't have to, I know they were very faithful to books back then. Mm. Like David O'Selznick famously, you know, all his dialogue came from the book. He wouldn't allow people to put their own dialogue in. And if that kind of thing happened in the book, then fine. But you're making a movie for the masses who were probably never going to read the book. And they should have they should have said, this is not the book. This is a movie of the book. And they should have, you know, if a character began in the beginning, they should have had their own arc, you know, instead mm, of just mm-hmm. being chopped off halfway through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you can't do that, cut them out completely. Like uh, yeah. a good example of a minor character, minor-ish, 
I mean, because there were some very minor people in 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 the book. Because that's that's mm. one of the fun things about, I mean, stereotyping. But Tolstoy and Dostoevsky is they're really fond of cramming lots of people in, which makes it quite realistic because you know lives are complicated thing and lots of people come and go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like there's this one character Denisov who's introduced, and then later on. In the book version of the story, he is present for Petya, who's the youngest Rostov sibling. Denisov is there for his death, and he's really cut up by it because he feels personally responsible. But he's totally cut from that scene, and and it's just uh, Dolokhov who who is yeah. there in in the book. Um, I I was you know, vainly thumbing through my copy of the book to try and find incidents, which, you know, was a fool's errand. But I did actually manage to find the bit <laughs> where Petya dies. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's... Denisov is the main guy, but, but yeah, Dolohov is in, is in the background. And, yeah, it's kind of like, if you're going to take Denisov out of that bit, just don't have him in the film at all. You don't mm. really you don't really because need him. Because just, he's just superfluous. yeah. Yeah, so frustrating film, I think. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I mean, maybe more for you because you've read the book and you just think, why is that there and why is that there? But frustrating for me, having known nothing about the story, all I knew it was a, it's an epic tale. Mm. The problem with it is that if I'm going to give three and a half hours to it, I need it to be coherent, and it just wasn't coherent. Yeah. There was a great, a great love story that took up the middle of the film. The last uh, third of the film concentrated on Henry Fonda's character, who by two and a half hours in, I just didn't care about. Mm, and, mm. you know, um, it, it was just, it was, I think if they got the first hour right, then it would have been an incredible film. As it is, it's two thirds of an incredible film. But I have to say, I mean, you probably know more about this than I do because you're, you know, an, a Russian expert. But <laughs> <laughs> I would not characterize myself there, that well, way, but thank compared you. To me, I'll take compared it. to me, you're definitely <laughs> a Russian expert. But, but I, I, I thought the production design was off the scale. I mean, the the rooms, even the cutlery on the table, the finery on the uniforms, just the whole look of the film. It just um, it didn't feel like a film at times. It felt like they'd taken actors and travelled through time. It just looked incredible. I mean, every single one of those French soldiers marching off into the distance, and you can see miles of these people marching off mm, into the distance. Yeah. Every single one of those was in an authentic French uniform. This film must have cost a fortune to make. Oh my goodness, yeah. Yeah, phenomenally expensive. Mm. Um, I'm so glad you didn't totally hate it. I didn't hate it. I'm just I'm just disappointed in it slightly. Yeah. I think you know I I I've watched films that are this long before and loved them. I watched this one yeah. and I struggled because and it, it was because of the start of the film. The first yeah. hour of this film is just it's so hard to get a hold of. You watch it and you're admiring it, but you're not watching the film. You're looking at the, oh, my God, look at the thing on the ceiling. Oh, my God, look at the horses and what they were. <laughs> you know, you can't concentrate on the story because it's just so uninvolving. That's the problem with this film. I think if they got the first hour right, if they'd drawn you in properly, I think the yeah. rest of it would have worked incredibly well. But again, it would be so hard to give the scenes the time and not be like, Oh, uh, well, we're an hour and a half in and we're only a quarter of the way through the story. (laughs) Damn, this should have been a miniseries, which, of course, for TV, didn't happen then. Like, Mm. yeah, you can totally see why it's it's better suited to 
to that format. And, and as I've mentioned, the radio drama I absolutely love, which is it's 10 one-hour episodes. I mean, mm. you know, it's no visuals because it's radio, and so that you're filling in the, the blanks with your mind, but the sound team does a fantastic job with that. That's probably of the, well, now three versions of this story that I've obviously not counting the book because, you know, totally different hmm. medium and it's the original item so i think that should be should be kind of exempt from the, <laughs> that's comparison. the holy bible isn't it well <laughs> i mean actually that that's a in terms of the radio adaptation one of the things that's a little bit tricky and i found quite tedious with the book is that it's the action is interspersed with tolstoy you know sharing his various pet theories about history and how stuff works and it's kind of like almost like mini essays and that's quite dull that uh, sounds that sounds a little indulgent it it does it it does yeah that's how i feel i'm possibly a total philistine for thinking that way but and yet the radio version is quite clever because it manages to give some of those ideas it puts them into the mouths of characters but it does it in a in a way that if you don't know that they're doing that you don't realize that that's what's going on i don't think i mean i kind of knew what they were doing so maybe i don't know but they managed to incorporate those in a way that didn't feel horrendously shoehorned Mm. um i want to pick up on your point about the older prince bolkonski who dies the film setting him up as a villain again it's kind of one of the things the film doesn't do very well he's a very flawed character Mm in other versions of the story but it's it's definitely not as clear cut as he's just a horrible person there's more nuance going on and again you just lose that in the story i didn't get that from the film all yeah. i thought was he's one of those one dimensional <laughs> e- evil fathers because Cardboard he just walks on the screen and says no you can't do this no you can't you're you're an idiot blah 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 and i, I yeah. thought, oh, he's the film's villain then yeah you know, but yeah, yeah. um and then he just went (laughs) (laughs) literally drops dead off screen yeah yeah i mean it's probably getting into the minutiae but are there any other performances besides audrey that you liked i i liked anita egberg yeah she's very good in the very very good yeah and absolutely suited that role completely mm. yeah, um, yeah. Her, her name definition. escapes me i do i apologize but yeah yeah ln um, yeah yeah, yeah. Def- definition wife. of a of femme fatale yeah absolutely i thought she was great um uh i have to say mel ferrer i'm not generally that uh impressed by him yeah um he he's I always seen him in other things to be honest no he's 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 one of those actors who just was there you know mm. you know ob- a good looking guy and obviously married to audrey during this but um, well, uh, he doesn't make it that far. He was betrothed. No, no. Um, in real life. Oh no, I did not know that. Oh yeah, yeah. She. Uh, oh, he okay. was He he was her first husband, and they oh, were married right, throughout right. the fifties. Yeah, they got married just gotcha. after she she made it big. Hmm. So um, so they did lots of things together. He direct he went in di- directing eventually, and you know directed her in a few films, hmm. Green Mansions oh, okay. and things, with Anthony Perkins, a really talented guy, I think. As an actor, not the most magnetic presence. Very tall, you know, very good looking. <laughs> yeah. And um and the you know, their son Sean carries on their legacy. Hmm. Um I think I think it's hard to see past Audrey Hepburn in this film. I think she is mm. unbelievable in this film. I I'm not just saying that as a fan. I think if you hadn't ever seen an Audrey Hepburn film before, 
this film would make you want to investigate her more. She's she's just full of life, you know. She, every time she smiles, the screen lights up. I don't know, how many films of hers have you seen? Uh, not uh, a ton. I've seen Roman Holiday, which is mm-hmm. just fantastic. Um, yeah. I saw oh, it's the the fashion musical one. Oh no, I saw it just the other day. Uh, it's again, it's it's, it's funny from the 50s. Face. Funny Face, yes, that's the one. And I found that film to be quite annoying and flawed, but she was fantastic yeah. in it. She, I mean, she she didn't do the greatest films ever. She, I think she came out oh. strong, and then you know she did sort of one every you know every other film was a good one. But yeah, My Fair Lady. It's been a while. My but Fair Lady, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's pretty good. I mean, the ending not so great. I think she she definitely had a talent for being the best thing in the film. She she's very very good in this. You know the way she she does seem childlike at the beginning. She's very exuberant, um, and you watch her and you just feel happy when you watch mm. her and you want her to be in love. I do think. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's the fault of the film or whether it's the way she's written in the book. When um, Andre goes off to war and you know you you you're just thinking, oh no, I hope he makes it back. And then mm. she meets um, what's his name again? Kagarov, Kuragin. Kuragin. Sorry, oh, sorry. I should have written these down really. But when she meets him, you're thinking, "Oh no, don't do that! No, 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 he's, no, no!" He's a complete and total ass. Yes, he is an ass. Oh, come on! No, you got Andre. Please wait for him. You know, yeah. and she does it anyway. So you do kind of lose a bit of sympathy for her character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is weird. That is that is a kind of like. Yeah. You can only put it down to her being teenage and naive, and she's like that in all other versions. So that that one we can't right. really chalk I, up to I, this I, film. Yeah, I can't blame it on that. So that's a fault of the character. But you, you know, the film spends so long, you know, throwing her into Andre's arms that when she meets him and the next scene they're kissing, you're like, oh, Christ's sake! You know, that's that's just lazy. Mm-hmm. I think that's lazy plotting, to be honest. I think they could have stretched that part out or made it him meet her earlier or something you know just so there's a bit more because it just seems like she, she just seems a bit foolish from doing yeah. that and then and then and then she gets you know reconciles with Andre obviously and he passes away and then she almost falls into Henry Fonda's arms and the end walks off with him into the into the distance and you just think oh you know there's no it's totally unearned like you said it's just a bit and it's just not very well written I don't think the film I think if they'd set the Henry Fonda love story up a bit better at the beginning. I mean, you get the sense that he likes her, but you don't get the feeling that she feels anything but friendship for him. Perhaps if there'd been a bit more... I I mean, I wouldn't know how to do it. I'm not the greatest writer in the world. But, you know, if they'd set that up a bit better, so that when she walks off with him in the end, you think, oh, well, he got her in the end. Mm. Uh, The way that I felt at the end of that was kind of like, uh, she just ended up with him because there was no one else left. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, um, they're all dead, so I guess I'm yeah. stuck with you. Oh, you'll do. Fine, come here, <laughs> Specky boy. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. and, and I mean, he, again, doesn't do himself any favours because there's the whole scene with uh, Platon, who's the, the peasant, who's very philosophical in a kind of rustic way. Again, an observation Carrie made while we were, were watching it, he falls behind and is in danger of being shot and, you know, again, plots... Oh, when they're marching. Does yeah, yeah, die. through the snow. And, right, okay. you know, at this point, we're supposed to believe that Pierre and Platon have developed a bit of a 
a friendship and that Pierre kind of looks up to this guy, even though he's, mm. you know, way further down in the social order. But he starts to lag behind and Pierre's just like, meh. See ya. <laughs> yeah. Whereas right, okay. again, I don't I don't remember the book well enough to know whether that's sort of what he does and he just kind of goes well I have to survive so and and plods up but in this film he kind of doesn't care and yeah yeah in some ways this this whole film it's very tempting to 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 characterize as a bunch of posh rich folk going oh isn't our life difficult when yeah lots of other people have it way worse like just, I mean, again, it happens in the book when Pierre's just wandering out around the battle, getting in everyone's way. You're just like, you idiot! I mean, I think get out of the a- way. They're trying to shoot each other. Yeah. <laughs> Mind you, I must say, I saw that part in the miniseries when that was on Paul mm. Dano, um, stumbling around the, the battlefield, and yeah. I thought it was very well done. Mm. So I think, I think this film is inherently flawed because of the the writing and i do think that perhaps in the hands of a single writer might have been more coherent but when you're writing in a group of six or you know perhaps they didn't perhaps they all wrote a section each Mm. perhaps it just got lost in translation and i think it's a real shame but i mean king vador who directed it was one of the writers as well so Uh, okay yeah i didn't realize um... that You'd you'd think with directorial input you'd have a bit more room to put your foot down and go no this has got to go if we're going to do this anything approaching properly exactly well even even in continuity terms you know well this character was with him earlier on so he needs to be at this scene yeah it just it just seems like every scene was not made up on the fly because obviously it was planned out but i just think um in the hands of a single writer this film might have been a bit more coherent that's yeah but again credit is as far as the absolutely spectacular visuals i mean you've you've mentioned i've never seen anything like it it was incredible to watch yeah the pontoon sequence is Mm. is is amazing when the russians are are blowing up the the bridge that the the troops are trying to leave on yeah i kind of want to mention the uh, the guy who plays kutuzov so do I. What did you think of him? Yeah, because we haven't talked about him. Uh, oh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember yeah. who that is. I'm oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't. My sarcasm I, didn't come across. No, there. apparently not. Apparently not. My yeah, my sarcasm <laughs> d- detectors need to need like <laughs> uh, it, turning you, up. You'll have to remind me who that is. I do. Apologize. Yeah, yeah. There's there's the name thing. He is the main Russian general. Oh, um, right. Okay, the guy who at the end says, "Well done, everyone." Essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that um. Well, I can tell you about the actor Oscar Homolka. He made his name in Hitchcock film Sabotage. Oh, oh, okay, which I haven't seen. Very, very good in that. Um, that was based on Joseph Conrad's A Secret Agent. Very. Uh, okay. Very good right. film. Anyway, yes, please do, please do carry on. Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, Karen and I both thought that he was really going for kind of a Churchillian mode. I mm. mean, both in terms of his physicality and and very much. His delivery is quite, we won't fight them on the beaches, except with a slightly weird accent. Yeah. Again, the accents are sort of all over the place. It's kind of almost like you have to decide, okay, the Russians are going to sound this way, or maybe even the Russian aristocrats are going to say sound this way, the <laughs> Russian lower classes are going to sound this way, and the French are going to sound different. It's, but it is kind of like the director said, do you know what? Just do your own voices or whatever the hell you want. Mm, I don't yeah. really care. Which is a shame. It's it's again. It's like credit to him as far as how it looks, but 
again, consistency lacking. I mean, I guess they cared less about that sort of detail back then, or is that unfair? What's that, sorry? Um, It feels like from my limited watching of films from that era, that sort of detail wasn't something that they figured audiences prioritised in the same way. You mean accent work? Accent work, yeah, that sort of stuff. Yeah. I think if you were a baddie, you were, you know, a European actor, basically. Yeah. <laughs> In those days. Oh, it's kind of the same now, but... <laughs> a little um, bit. Um, the heroes are American. Russian, I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oscar Homolkin was Austrian, so I think he played a lot of spies uh, yeah. and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of nefarious people. But... Um, I li- actually liked his scenes. I must, I must say, when, it, when he popped up, I was like, "Oh, it's Oscar Homolka." Um, his scene where they're saying they're telling him about the the peasants burning the villages so that the French invaders won't have any food, and he says, "Let them carry on, you know, you know do it more, even." Yeah, I thought that and, was, and they're oh, like, that was a good scene. Yeah, and they're like, "No, we have to fight," and he's like, "No, that won't work. You have yeah. to do it the way." I yeah. know how, yeah. Um, you have to make invasion hard for them, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you have to make them really wish they hadn't done this because yeah. if it comes to a pitch battle, they are better than us. So we have to <laughs> use the stuff that's in our favour. And that's, you know, it's a really tough thing to do as a general because everything is about morale and like, yeah, we can get them. We're the best. And he mm. has to, he knows that actually isn't the right thing. So, and that's definitely something that comes through in, in, in the book is that Tolstoy very much admires this guy whilst kind of poking fun at his sort of elderly, you know, kind of sluggish, falling asleep sort of ways. And that means everyone around him just thinks, oh, he's useless because, you know, appearances can be deceiving, but he's actually yeah. quite, quite shrewd. Yeah. Um, I thought he was good once I kind of tuned my ear to a slightly odd accent. Um, <laughs> yeah. Again, I quite liked the chap who was playing Dolokhov. Um, oh, okay. Helmet uh, Dentine, Dontina. I don't know how you pronounce his name. I okay. guess he's German, so Dentina. He, I found he was quite menacing. He's the guy that has the duel at the beginning, yeah? He, he with, is, With yeah. Henry Fonda. Yeah, he, he's very good. the first guy who, like before Pierre, tries to, you know, repeat his feet and narrowly avoids dying, but he's yeah, the one who on the confidently sill. drinks all that rum on the right. windowsill. I get And it's just yeah. nerves of steel. Yeah, I, he isn't in it very much, but I thought he was he was really good. He's very good, yeah. Yeah, there's um there's there's quite a few um British actors like famous ones. John Mills is in this. I didn't realize yes. that. Yes, yeah, and, that was and a Jeremy name Brett, who played um yeah. one of the Rostov brothers. Yes, yeah. Again, in terms of cutting characters or you know drastically reducing their their roles, in terms of other versions of the story, the big three I would say are Natasha, Pierre, and Andre. But not far behind is. Maria, Andre's sister, and and Nikolai. They, those are big right. characters. But Maria and Nikolai, sorry, in this film, he's, Ni- he's Nicholas. He's Nicholas and, in this, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. That, again, that kind of annoyed me that they anglicised all the names sort of, but they still use Russian nicknames like Petya, which, I mean, calling him Pete would be a bit weird. But yeah, because it's because Petya is Pyotr, which uh, is the like Peter. Um, mm. But yeah, the, it was again like as a pedant that annoyed me because it's. <laughs> I mean, I can understand wanting them to seem less 
exotic in terms of the names and it's also it's the 50s and it's the cold war so you know we're going to tell this russian story but we'll make this feel as little russian as we can <laughs> um so yeah it's a minor minor irritation compared to all the other stuff we've we've talked about but again a little bit of an odd odd decision yeah um this is quite a weird circular way of going around around the conversation but just going back to audrey i was wondering watching this would this have been quite a difficult experience for her to go through in terms of in terms of our experiences in the exactly news. i mean yeah possibly i mean her Mind character you... doesn't go through anything as bad as what you know you do a brilliant job of telling it in your in your series she went through i was revisiting <laughs> the very end of the war where the immediate danger from the troops the the occupying you know nazi forces are concerned that danger's passed but just the ravages that the hunger and things yeah. hunger yeah. yeah yeah it's just absolutely harrowing but and and just in terms of that side of things and also being brought up with an aristocratic background in in some ways you think how many actors have had life experience that would prepare them so well for a, a, for yeah, a part exactly, i can't yeah. think of too many yeah yeah I, I mean i imagine it was i imagine she did uh, draw on her own experiences for that i know she turned down the role of anne frank um many yes. times because yeah. she um she felt that she couldn't she couldn't possibly revisit that so vividly yeah because they were almost exactly the same age weren't they yes they were the same age yeah mm. um yeah it was finding her diary that sort of brought her out of a post-war depression i think mm. she realized that you know anne frank had wasn't going to get to see the world that she was going to get to see so she should live every day as if it was her last yeah and um so the i mean in terms of experiences i mean the war finished i guess 45 so she was 11 years out of it and i think audrey hepburn was definitely one of these people who saw each day as an opportunity and not just you know another day between her current goal and her next goal mm. I think she really did live every, every day as if it was you know special so I'm sure that she wouldn't have dwelled too much on you know her harrowing upbringing and her personal life I think was in a very very good place in 1956 yeah. she was happily married and uh, she was very 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 successful at the time probably the biggest star in the world so well that was the thing I hadn't obviously like I knew she was in this clearly that was <laughs> one of the main reasons that i mm. decided to watch this film and mm. to ask you to to be on on this episode but what Thank i hadn't you. realized was that she was top billing uh, i that was only a detail <laughs> that i i you know because i sort of automatically assumed that because of the times that she would have been like second or third because mm. you just give top billing to a man because you know it's the 50s she but, yeah. she she came I mean, her rise was incredibly fast, probably faster than anything. Meteoric. Seen before. Absolutely. She, you know, she was in a play called um, Gigi on Broadway, which was, you know, advertised as, you know, no star is bigger than the part of Gigi. You know, it's the big, it's the big part. And within a week of her 
opening, her name was above the title. and It's like, let's just see about that. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, her first major film role, Roman Holiday, she won the Best Actress Oscar. Um, and she was, <laughs> I mean, she was so good in Roman Holiday mm. that, you know, I mean, you probably heard in there that, that Gregory Peck insisted that she was not going to get a you know secondary credit. She was going to be you know bef- you know on the title of the mm. film, even though I the, the did not know that, that. But good for him. Yeah, he yeah. he insisted. <laughs> it's really funny because the director William Wyler noticed that Gregory Peck was very very you know sort of put out or you know had lots on his mind, and he pulled him aside. And Gregory Peck was uh, at the time breaking up from his wife, and he was you know about to marry his you know or meet his second wife. And um, he said, is everything okay? And he's like, uh, Bill, you know, my, my contract states that, um, you know, I, I get top billing in this film. And do you know what? You, 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 I, do, I did yeah. know this because you totally <laughs> mentioned it in the series and it's all like, yeah, yeah, yeah this is very yeah. familiar now. Yes, no, yeah. He, and he thought he was, you know, he thought he was going to say one thing. But he, he mm. was like, you know, I'm, Audrey's doing too well in this film and he's like well, what do you want to do bump her down the cast list like, <laughs> no of course not I want you to put her on the title screen with me I don't care about what my contract says she's just too good and I think she had that effect on everyone I mean Jack Warner notoriously one of the most oh. the worst people in Hollywood he he saw <laughs> yeah. her screen test and and thought you know oh, we can't control this girl but we, we're not going to let her go. He had a, an interest in her at the time. Everyone who saw her screen test, which was basically her just sat in front of a camera talking about her war experiences, just fell in love with her. She was just, she just had it. The, the people like that don't happen at all very often. But Audrey Hepburn has it. Every frame she's in, she's the most interesting thing in every frame of film that she is in. She's yeah. an incredible, incredible screen presence. Yeah, I mean, if it was some someone else in this film, yeah, it would instantly lose a lot yeah. of its watchability. Yeah, I can't think of, any, of anyone that mm. I would think is as good casting. Uh, I think that's, you know, I mean, you could continue to gush. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there's, obviously, it's, it's a three and a half hour, very flawed film, and there's potentially a lot more you could say. But yeah, I think that's probably where we should more or less leave the film. But the question I have is, does seeing this version, albeit with all the problems, does that make you want to seek out other ad- other better adaptations? Or do you feel like, eh, this is already enough time of my life invested for this story? No, I I I would be interested. I mean, not yet. I don't think I want a whole year of <laughs> War and Peace. But I mean, if if in a year's time the the mini series that was on that everyone raves about mm. was on, I think I would, if I had the time, watch that. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I don't think I want to see another feature film version. I don't. That doesn't appeal to me at all. Yeah, because the big like elephant in in the room is the Soviet version from a, almost exactly ten years after this. That is. I think over twice as long. Right, um, okay. And it won the best foreign language picture that year. And in terms of spectacle, I haven't seen it yet because I'm kind of saving that one up. Okay. Um, but it's said to be absolutely like blow your socks off. Okay. And because it's so much longer, I'm presuming they do a better job of giving the characters room to breathe. But uh, mm. just imagine that day at the cinema. It must be completely <laughs> exhausting. But that's probably the right response to War and Peace, to be honest. Yeah. 
I think, I'd, uh, yeah, like I say, I don't think I'd watch another feature film version, but I'd be interested to see another a, a mini series of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you hadn't already picked up <laughs> uh, <laughs> listeners, I'm quite the fan of the of the BBC radio adaptation. Uh, did I mention John Hurt's in it? Um, I think I, was, I think <laughs> I said that. Yeah, you know, some guy. Uh, but yeah, if you've got long, I don't know, journeys on public transport ahead that's so worth finding it's 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 brilliant and and it's not just john her um past patterson joseph is fantastic as as pierre he really makes you feel a lot more sympathy and understanding with a character who yeah it can be kind of annoying but you know aren't we all occasionally Mm. maybe Uh, (laughs) i definitely am well, yeah, my, my wife's not not here at the moment, but yeah, if she if she were here, she'd go, yep, yep, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so all right. Um, thank you so much for joining me. No, on this. thank just, you, thank you for taking me out of my comfort zone. It was quite fun. <laughs> yeah, I was I was just like watching the film. I was thinking, Adam probably totally hates my guts right now. <laughs> not totally. <laughs> just, 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 just two thirds. Most of my guts. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. No, no it, was, it was very good. I'm glad I saw it. Yeah, it's an Audrey Hepburn film I've never seen Excellent. before. So yeah, yeah. Which, which is, which is always good. And yeah, mm-hmm. as we have established, it's not a dud performance on her part. Mm, uh, it's a great performance. Very good. Um. So Adam, if listeners would like to check out your podcasts where would they find those if i haven't done enough to alienate you already <laughs> then um yeah if you go to secrethistoryofhollywood.com or attaboyclarence.com you can find everything there or just search in itunes for either one of those awesome and, and... Um, i'm at movie histories on twitter and at attaboy c on twitter too Super. Oh, I, also somebody with two Twitter handles. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's very annoying. Yeah, yeah. I find that hard to hard to manage, and I think oh, I was doing things differently. But yeah, um, and specifically the Audrey series. Where would mm-hmm. one find that? That's only available through Audible at the moment. If you're a member, then you get a service called Audio Shows, uh, which is free, and all of my back catalogue is available on Audio Shows. But Audrey Hepburn is only available through them. I've never released that on the podcast. So it's a fifteen part series. So yeah, buckle, I would... buckle in. Yes. <laughs> and as we've probably established, I keep saying that phrase, um it's <laughs> it's not the easiest ride. It's it's dark, yeah. dark times, but it's you know, I think it's really you know, knowing what a fantastic actor she was, it's it's interesting to have that backstory and the experience that formed the person that she was Um, i think you're right yeah yeah i mean um, often i don't really care that much in terms of other actors i just you know in some in some ways it's unhelpful to know mm, background information can destroy a few myths can't it yeah it can do yeah yeah um but with her it's like okay that makes so much more sense why she comes across (laughs) as, as so strong and you know so carpe diem in a positive way mm-hmm. um awesome so yes as i say definitely check those out so Thank thanks everyone for for listening for making it through this epic uh, with us and just think if um they start listening at the beginning of this they'd just be at the end of the boring part of war and peace now 
So just listen to this and watch and watch the videos. Just watch the talking heads and, and then, then take your headphones up. out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Sorry, I spoiled you. <laughs> no, that's that's fine. All right. So yeah, thanks again for listening and dasvidaniya, folks. Dasvidaniya. So that's it for this episode, but before I go, I'd like to thank Sasha Ilukovic and the Highly Skilled Migrants for the use of their song Cold in our intro. You can find that song and the rest of their back catalogue on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a rating at Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. That second one, Podchaser, even lets you rate individual episodes, so if this episode particularly stood out to you, you can let other listeners know that you enjoyed it. Recommending the show on social media is hugely helpful as well. If you can spare a moment or two to do that, it would really make my day. Thank you, thank you very much. Speaking of social media, please find us and say hi on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can also drop us a line at roosfilesunite at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, take care of yourselves, and bye for now.